What, what I want to talk about today is the nature of freedom and how to get it. The nature of freedom and, and how, as followers of Jesus, to live in that freedom. And so before I get into, before I get into that today, I want to ask you this question. I want you to just pause for a second, reflect, think back on your life and answer just for yourself, answer this question. When in your life did you feel the most free? I'll, I'll help you with it, but I want you to just think about it for a second. When in your life did you feel the most free? Uh, is it right now? I'm, as I've gotten older, I can't remember my kids' names or ages, um, and lots of things have, have changed for me and us over the years. To have our youngest daughter be in high school is weird. Uh, to have one, our oldest, about to graduate college, that's weird for us. And uh, to have a son in the middle who doesn't even live with us anymore because he's at school, away at college, that's weird. It's all weird. And I think, well, is, is, is that weirdness, okay, that's a thing or whatever, but like I'm kind of in charge at least, and so am, am I the most free? Do I feel the most free that I've ever felt in my life right now? With those, those transitions happening in life, greater levels of responsibility, um, the owing money for all of the bills and all of the living that we have to pay for here in the city. It, I, I'm sort of beholden to them. I'm beholden to the church. I'm beholden to work. I, I, I have a responsibility to my wife. If, do I feel the most free? If I'm being honest, no. I might, feel the less, I might feel less free today than I've ever felt at any point in my life. It doesn't mean necessarily I am less free, but it's, that's how I feel. It's how I process it. Was it in college for you? Did you feel the most free in college? Well, even then, you, you, know, you, you have uh, like college bills to pay or at least loans to take out. You have to go to class. You, if you want to be in college for any length of time, you have to go to class and do what the professors require you to do, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's a level of freedom there, but it's not really... Uh, we don't, we, I'm sure you didn't always feel free when you were in college. What about a teenager? No, no one feels free as a teenager. Everybody just knows you're not free. No, nothing's fair. Life isn't fair. Your parents are losers. You can't, and you just want the keys to a car. So why? Freedom. That's what keys to the car represent. It represents freedom. No one feels free as a teenager. What was it when you were a child? I've reflected on that. I'm going to come back to this in a bit. Was it when you were a child? When really you had less authority than you've ever had in your life, less agency than you've ever had in your life, really and truly more dependent as a child than you've ever been in your life. And yet I have a suspicion that most of us, maybe not all, but most of us might say, but when I look back, that's when I felt the most free. I want us to look at Jesus' words here in John chapter 8 this morning. Jesus says some very interesting things about freedom, and they may be things that you know and things that you've heard before, but as I've read and meditated on and thought through this passage this week, man, they, these words have just hit me in a, in a new and, and powerful way. Uh, John 8, 31, that's where our teaching text begins. Uh, verse 31 says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. 
So Jesus is ultimately going to talk to this group of people about freedom and what freedom really is like and how to be free, how to get it. But at this point, Jesus has been proclaiming the truth about himself. He's been proclaiming the truth about the kingdom of heaven in Jerusalem. And as he's done so, as he's, um, as he's born witness to the kingdom and himself, people have begun to believe. And we even have you know, that stated right in the verse. There were many Jews who believed Jesus about what he was saying. Now, whenever people believe what Jesus is saying, we see this throughout the scriptures, Jesus immediately tests their faith. And that's what's happening here. It's really important that we hear what Jesus says. Jesus is saying to those who already believe, you are truly my disciples if. That if creates a a, a real problem for us. Because what that if does, it makes it possible then that we can believe Jesus and his message about the kingdom and not really be his disciples. That's what Jesus is introducing here. What's the difference between a person who believes Jesus and a person who is my disciple? Jesus says this plainly. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. I want to take this a piece at a time because really there are three pieces to Jesus' statement that are all, I think, equally important. The first is this, if, again, here's the conditional clause, if being a true disciple is conditional. In other words, we aren't disciples of Jesus just because we believe him. We aren't disciples of Jesus just because we read the Bible. We aren't disciples of Jesus just because we go to church. Now, we're all going to walk out feeling awfully prideful that we came today, like we're the real, true saints, and I think that's true, but, but it doesn't make you a true disciple any more than it makes me a true disciple, if to those who believed him. These aren't people who are rejecting Jesus. These are people who have believed him. Jesus says, if. If what? What is the condition then? Jesus says, if you hold to. Hold to. That's the next. That's the next segment. The word translated as hold here, and if you have a different version of the scriptures that you're reading, this is coming from the New International Version, but you might have a different version of the scriptures like the ESV or something. And your, your word there might not be translated hold, but it's the word minu. And that word in the scriptures is sometimes translated as remain or abide. In fact, it's translated remain or abide quite often in the scriptures. Here in the NIV, we have hold to my teaching. Other translations, abide in my teaching or continue in. So, This holding to, this idea, the condition that Jesus is placing, the if, is holding to, abiding in. The word literally means to continue to be present to. So if, that's the the conditional sort of clause, hold to, abide in, make your home in, do not leave, continue to be present to. That's the second part. Now here's the third part. If you hold to what? Hold to my teaching. 
The biblical word here is logos. And this word logos is all over the New Testament scriptures. Uh, This is the same word translated here as teaching that's translated, not only translated as word in John 1, 1, which says, in the beginning was the logos, it's the same exact word. Not only is it translated word and not teaching there, it's actually meant to represent Jesus because it's capitalized. It is a personal pronoun. So Jesus is saying, if you hold to my, not just, not just like, here's what I've said, just hold to that, not just hold to my teaching, but we understand because the word logos is used, it's even bigger than that. It certainly contains all that Jesus has said, but not just what he's written so far. It's this idea of remaining in, abiding in, being present to and with Jesus, ongoing so that we might receive instruction, so we might receive encouragement, so we might understand the world through Jesus's lens. And that's what Jesus is saying we are to hold to or abide in or to make our home in. Jesus is the Logos, but but holding to Jesus means holding to all that Jesus is and represents and says. This is the conditional part of Jesus's Uh, statement to those who believe, meaning it's not automatic for those who believe. If you hold to my teaching, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, then what? What's the payoff? If you hold to my teaching, then you really are my disciples. This is the test of true discipleship. Jesus is not testing the sincerity, I don't think, of their belief. Jesus isn't saying, you think you believe in me. Or yeah, I've heard you say you believe in me and then and roll his eyes. So we don't see that here at all. Jesus isn't testing the sincerity of their belief or their hearts. He's not testing their authenticity or their level of conviction. He's testing whether they will hold to him and his word when things get rough. Maybe he's also testing whether we will hold to him and his words when things get really good. Will we hold to Jesus and his teaching no matter what? Will we continue to be present to Jesus and his teaching? That is the test of true discipleship. So I think Jesus wants to know, will they hold to his teaching when the people he's speaking to, when they lose somebody that they love? or when they see innocent people suffering, or when the addiction that they have is too strong, or when the temptation is too great, or when their whole world just becomes a complete dumpster fire, will they hold to Jesus then? That is the test of true discipleship. It seems like Jesus is kind of going awfully hard at these people, isn't he? I mean, he literally has people in the same crowd who want to stone him to death. And it makes sense if Jesus sort of starts testing them and, 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 all, and all of that, but he doesn't. He's actually testing those who, who have said they believe and recognize that they believe the words that Jesus has said. Why is, he, why is he going so hard at people who believe? I think it's because there's just too much writing on this question of whether or not we are really, truly his disciples. 
Jesus doesn't want us to be deceived into thinking because we're around Jesus that, that we are the disciples of Jesus. And the reason why that's a big deal is because of verse 32. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus wants everyone in that crowd to be free. Jesus' heart would be to set free even those people who were looking for the best stone to throw at Jesus. Jesus' desire is that we would all be free. And so the reason why Jesus is going so hard at those who believe is because he knows belief isn't enough, that we have to root ourselves in the life and the teaching of Jesus. We have to anchor ourselves to him. Because then we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Then you will know the truth. When will we know the truth? Well, we will know the truth when we have taken the, the, the bricks of his teaching. We're taking his teaching and we've built a house out of Jesus' teaching and we have moved into that house and we are abiding it's connected to the word abode, which means home. We're living in, abiding in that house no matter what comes. No matter how much rain comes down in our lives or in the world, no matter how high the streams rise, no matter how violently the winds blow and beat against that house, we abide in that house because it's in that house that Jesus abides with us. And Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man, woman, or child is free or comes to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus wants to make sure, look, there are people who are opposed to Jesus and there's no question where they stand in relationship with Jesus. What gets confusing is for those of us that have been around it a little bit, and we struggle and we long for the freedom that is ours in Christ. And now here's Jesus in his kindness is coming along and saying, there's a problem if you only believe but don't hold to me. You'll never have the freedom that is already yours in me. It's right there for the taking. Curious, how many of you this morning, in fact, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hands. How many of you this morning got up early to watch the sunrise? Just raise your hand. Okay, just look around. I'm gonna put my hand down. So nobody? Okay. No one in this room got up early on the day we set our clocks forward and made their coffee and went to their roof, faced east, and watched the sun come up. Not a single person in this entire room did that. We know that the sun rose this morning because we saw the light when we woke up today. But watching the sunrise, experiencing the sunrise, that would have required us to do a couple of things, wouldn't it? It would have required us to rise early and to face east. Listen, that's what the freedom or knowing freedom is like. It's like watching the sunrise. 
Jesus has set us free. And now experiencing that, that freedom requires us to hold to Jesus, to hold fast to his teaching, to his word, to continue to be present to Jesus and his teaching, no matter what will come. Then you will know the truth. Okay, so that's the first part of that statement. When you, uh, when you have committed yourself to the way of Jesus, then you will know the truth. And then the second part of that statement is, and the truth will set you free. Why truth? Have you thought about that? Why truth? What is it about truth that sets us free? Well, truth sets us free because it was a lie that took away our freedom. You picture Adam and Eve in the garden. Jesus uh, is there at the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the, and the Word was with God in the beginning. And then John goes on to say that all things were created and that all things that were created were created through the Word, Jesus. He's there at the beginning. Here's Adam and Eve in the garden. They literally have the world at their feet I mean, they live and enjoy this beautiful shalom, this relationship with God and with one another and with the animals. I mean, I, we were watching an, a nature show earlier this week, and I just, I'm amazed at how much nature keeps coming out with. I mean, it's like new every time. As soon as you think you've seen all of the animals and all of their behaviors and all of that, something else comes on and just blows, it just blows your mind, just blows you away. Here's Adam and Eve enjoying the incredible sort of feast of life that is in front of them, right in the middle of it. And then they're deceived. And the thing that takes down humanity is the lie. It's, it's taking in the lie. It's receiving the lie. It's believing the lie. And once they believed the lie of the enemy, the rest was history. Their freedom was gone, according to the scriptures. Uh, this is what Revelation 12, 9 has to say about God's enemy. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. This is what the enemy does. God has made us free to live in free relationship with, our, with, with God, with ourselves, with one another, even with the world around us. God has made us free to enjoy life in all its splendor, in all of its glory. And yet that poison, the poison of the lie has gone down into our systems. And it's broken it all. It's, it's broken all of it. And it's bound us all. It's taken, robbed us of our freedom. God's enemy and our enemy is a liar, a deceiver. Jesus says, you'll know the truth. Because, and it's the truth that will set you free. We need the truth of God to combat the lie of the enemy. And I mean that as universally as I possibly can. The big lie that we believe, that somehow we were better off apart from God, is confronted by the big, the big truth that Jesus tells, which is, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man, and if we state it in the positive, every person gains access or freedom to the Father through me. We need a big truth to combat the big lie, but we also need little truths to confront little lies. And so as we live in this world as believers and those seeking to, to be disciples of Jesus, we have to ask the question, what exactly is it that we're being freed from? The, uh, the Jews that had believed here in verse 33, this is what they say. They answered him after Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. We are Abraham's descendants and we've never been slaves of anyone how can you say that we shall be set free? Well, the only real honest way that the people believing could, could say this to Jesus is if they were only thinking of themselves as individuals. I mean, weren't God's people enslaved in Egypt, right? You saw the movie. God's people were enslaved in Egypt. In fact, God's people were also enslaved in Babylon, so as a people, that's not true. Yes, you have been a slave as a people. And I think God wants us to think of, of slavery in those terms and freedom in those terms. Both collectively as a people, we have all known freedom. I'm sorry, we've all known slavery because that's a part of our story. Regardless of how free you feel today. But Jesus also wants us to think about freedom in individual terms as well. We are Abraham's children, they said. How can you say that we will be set free? Free from what? The Jews uh, who believe Jesus are taking offense to him. And here's, here's what I think that they don't understand. One, I don't think they understand the nature of their own slavery and number two, I don't think they understand the true nature of the kind of freedom that Jesus is offering. Verse 34, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a sin to slave. I'm sorry, slave, that was funny. Slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So the Jews who believe Jesus, they claim ethnic identity and Jesus is saying no matter your ethnic identity no matter your gender no matter your age or orientation or status everyone who sins is a slave to sin the good news is we're all in this together We all suffer. The poison has gone in all of us. And the freedom that was stolen from the first of us in the garden was stolen from all of us who came after. We don't even have to look at the outside world to recognize that we live enslaved. We see it in the mirror. We see it in our own brokenness. Our own pain, our own frustration, our own failures our own sin. And everyone who sins, plural, which we should take to mean sort of individual transgressions, is a slave to sin, singular, which is like a global condition. And Jesus is offering freedom 
from sin. See, here I think Jesus is addressing not so much sin as individual transgressions against God, taken from the context of what Jesus has already said in John chapter 8, although those certainly qualify here. More than sin as transgressions against God, Jesus is addressing the condition of sin. That's what enslaves us. The sickness that nearly destroyed the entire world and everything in it, including you and me. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the curse that separates us from God, ourselves, one another, and ultimately the world. Because at the root of all of our brokenness, and we all come into this room with nuanced brokenness. We're all broken in a sort of a, a fun concoction of ways, aren't we? We all have our unique blend of brokenness that we bring to everything. We bring into this community. We bring into relationships. We bring into our, uh, even when we sleep, we're bringing our brokenness into that. And at the root of all of that brokenness lies a problem that is fundamentally spiritual in nature. Please hear me. I'm not saying that every problem you and I have is only a spiritual problem. Some of you need to go to a doctor, a physical doctor, because you have a physical problem. Some of you need to go to a mental health uh, professional who can help you process, a therapist, a, a counselor that can help you process your journey and think about your life and self-reflect in ways that bring some, some truth and maybe a, a pathway forward. I'm not saying just pray all of your problems away, but what I am saying is that all of those problems are rooted in the spiritual problem that we believed a lie and have been separated from God. At the root of all of our brokenness is that sin condition from which Jesus has set us free. The freedom that Jesus is talking about here is spiritual freedom. That's what Jesus is talking about. And it's a kind of freedom that nobody can take away from us. When we are set free from the sin that's at the root of all of our brokenness, then we can experience freedom from the fruit of that sin as well. Because that's what happens. Our lives are planted in the soil that's been tainted, and at the root, at our root, is that sin, that poison that's gone in, and that works its way up through our lives and bears the fruit of brokenness in our lives. We were raised by imperfect parents. Why? Because the brokenness of their parents and their time bore its fruit in their lives. And their parents, the same would be true for them. And for us, it's true as well. All of us. So when we are set free from the sin at the root of all of our brokenness, then we can experience freedom from the fruit of that sin as well. But it does us little good to address the fruit of the sin or brokenness in our lives without addressing the root of it, the poison. And that's what Jesus does. Pride is a fruit of brokenness, of sin. Jealousy, envy, greed, bigotry, violence, poverty, sickness, death, and the list goes on. There are many fruits. And the good news this morning is that Jesus sets us free from the root of sin, the condition of sin, and ultimately is delivering us from all of its fruits as well. Verse 35, Jesus makes an interesting statement, almost Feels like a non sequitur here. He says in verse 35, how um, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it. 
forever. The invitation of Jesus is this. To those who believed, here's the invitation. It is to move from slaves to sons. It's to be transformed from deceived to daughters. I asked you at the beginning, when in your life did you feel the most free? And, and, and for most of us, with some exceptions, we probably felt most free when we were children. We just didn't really think about a lot of stuff going on outside of our little world. And so if we equate freedom with the power to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, and how we want to do it, we are defining freedom in a way different than how Jesus is defining freedom. Jesus calls what we call freedom, Jesus calls slavery. Freedom, according to Jesus, is being a child in the house of God. That's what freedom is. When the Father affirmed Jesus at the start of his ministry at his baptism, what does Jesus say? What does the Father say of Jesus? We talk about this all the time here on Sunday mornings. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, and a voice comes from heaven. This is my child. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. The Father wants the Son to know and everyone around the Son that this is his child, and he is free as a child, the son in the house of God. That's the truth that our freedom is rooted in. If, if our brokenness is rooted in a lie, then this is the truth that sets us free. It's our identity as the beloved daughters and sons of God. All freedom work is getting to that place that Haley talked about in her story this morning of getting to that place of seeing ourselves the way that the Father sees us and of loving ourselves the way that God loves us. That's about identity. And our identity, the truest thing about us is that we are the daughters and the sons of God. This is what Jesus has, has made us. He's made us free. And from that identity, we can be free. So finally, in verse 36, so if the Son has set you free, Jesus is saying, believe me when I say, you are free indeed. I want to say this. This church is committed to holding to Jesus' teaching. This is like, the thing about us that I think is most true is that as a community, we are pursuing Jesus and the way of Jesus together. It is, in, in many ways, the singular aim of Trinity Grace Church is to help one another learn and then hold to the word and the life of Christ in our world, in this city. So that, what, so that we might experience all that is already ours in Christ. So we are pursuing the way of Jesus. Our church is about something so simple you could write it on a napkin. Oh, what's Trinity Grace like? Tell me about your church. Man, we're pursuing the way of Jesus. Here, let me write that on a napkin for you. Well, what does that mean? Well, we define that really by four things. And the first is freedom. And then belonging. And then justice. And then presence. We think Jesus is bringing us into that because that is the life and the mission that Jesus lived. 
We are serious about Jesus. Having said that, I want to recognize holding to Jesus' teaching is not always easy. And there are many obstacles to pursuing Jesus. I wrote down three just this morning on my way here. I wrote down three just off the top of my head obstacles to pursuing Jesus here in New York City. One is distraction. Distraction is one of those obstacles. It's difficult here in this city and with all the noise going on around us, not just actual physical noise, but all the noise going on around the world today, it's really hard to quiet ourselves enough to listen, to listen enough to hear what Jesus has to say. Number two, deception. It's hard today to tell the truth from the lie, and it's getting harder, isn't it? What are we reading? I mean, like, is this, like, someone puts something on Twitter, does that make it true? Well, we know that that's not the case. But even in conversations, even in our own relationship with God, am I, is this true? Is this, what am I hearing? It's hard to tell the truth from the lie. We, we are still being deceived by the enemy because that's what the enemy does, continuing to tell us lies. Uh, number three, doubt. Some of us allow our doubt to keep us from God, not recognizing that asking questions in doubt, that, that that's, God is inviting us to bring our doubt. In fact, doubt can be a pathway to God and freedom with God. But maybe the reason why some of us doubt is because we, we look at the evil in the world and we begin to question the nature of a God who would allow it. I mean, there are lots of other reasons that create doubt in our minds. Maybe things we're experiencing or not experiencing that we thought we might or would hope to experience. But distraction, deception, and doubt are just three of many obstacles to pursuing the life of Jesus. What I want to say about that is this, that we must overcome these obstacles. We have a, a few uh, of our small groups that operate like, as accountability groups in the sense that they exist to come together and to share life, to be open and transparent and to, to get help and to help each other hold to the teaching of Jesus. And that's so encouraging. And there's an element of that really in all of our small groups that we would be in relationship with others that would help us hear, learn, listen, and hold to the teaching and to the word of Jesus. But just continuing to share your failures every single week without recognizing you have the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the power of Jesus. And Jesus is the overcomer. And Jesus says, in this world, you'll have a lot of troubles. You'll have a lot of obstacles, but take heart. Don't forget, I've overcome the world. And so what I want to encourage you with today and challenge you to think about is what will it look like to actually overcome the obstacles, to move beyond them, to actually be set free. Now, I know you don't want to keep showing up at your group and talking about the same sin over and over again or the same habit or the same concern or the same doubt or the same fear, whatever it is. I know you don't want to keep doing that. I want you to know that you can experience freedom. And, and sometimes freedom is hard to get in the normal sort of everyday flow of life. So that's why, starting on March 22nd, we are together going to embark on this 21 days of freedom journey. And so this journey is very simple, but um, it's going to culminate on Easter Sunday. But the simplicity of the journey is this, it's, it's the aim to help you break through of some of those stubborn obstacles that have kept you from experiencing freedom in Jesus. 
And there are many in this room. Our aim is that you might experience a new level of freedom in your life. So here's how the 21 days will break down. Just some very simple elements. One, there's a simple, very, very short daily reading. There's a very short passage of scripture that you can read, just a little devotional thought. But built into that daily devotional are the practices of prayer and fasting. And so I'm going to be talking about fasting next week and then prayer the following week. And the reason I'm gonna talk about fasting next week is to give you a week to digest, so to speak, no pun intended, to digest your fast of choice. How are you going to engage in this journey? So I'll be talking all about what that could look like for you next week, so come back and, and be with us for that. Uh, and and, and I, as I mentioned at this, the start this morning, I wanna talk about over the next two weeks how fasting and prayer can help us break through, help us overcome obstacles that have been difficult to overcome. So you can sign up, and I wanna encourage you to sign up today. I was very encouraged. Some of you actually read the newsletter this week and signed up. I couldn't believe it. Um, that I'm very thrilled that the communication is working a little bit, but I wanna give you the rest of you an opportunity to do this as well. So um, we have a link that we can put up Stephen, okay, great. So bit.ly slash TGC 21 days. If you go to that link and you can sign up and that will take you to the devotional that we'll be using. We didn't write it. We're using a devotional that's already been written. And uh, you can begin making preparations now to join us on that journey. But what I wanna say to you is if the sun has set you free, you are free indeed. And I think it's possible that the next time somebody stands up and says, when in your life have you felt the most free, that we might say, today. I feel the most free I've ever felt today because Jesus has set me free. Let's pray.